0: Thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the word of God. Good morning. just like to thank the Lord this morning for that uh, uh, beautiful singing, uh, and it's just so appropriate this morning with the uh, the sermon, uh, Behold Our God, I mean, He is worthy of all praise. I tell you, we just can't praise Him enough as we read in Scripture that everything that has breath is to praise the Lord. And then the next song, Jesus, thank you uh, for what He's done in our life. And it's nothing that, that we did or no good that we could do uh, that bought our salvation. It was Christ on the cross, dying on our behalf so that we could be the children of God and be uh, found worthy in Him to praise and to glorify Him. Be uh, in much prayer for me this morning that I will stay focused. It seems like that's always been a problem with me in my life is, is staying focused, you know, it's just like the five-year-old that's out there on the t-ball field, you know, they're they're ready for the game, and then a butterfly flies by, and they just <laughs> completely miss what they're what they're doing. And that's me. You know, I've always been like that, so be in much prayer for me this morning. But before I begin uh, getting into Psalm 26, I'll be reading, uh, taking my text from the English Standard Version this, this morning. Even though, Charlie, I did grow up with a KJV, and that's in my mind. That's where all my verses are, the KJV, faithful. Uh, but let's bow our heads, and let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for your mercy, your grace. Lord, we're so thankful for your love that, that all these things you lavish upon us, God, and we are so unworthy. Lord, we praise you this morning. We ask, Lord, as we uh, delve into your word, uh, Lord, that you will speak through us. Uh, the things that we have studied and, and your the verses that we've rehearsed and all these things, God, that, that uh, you would be magnified, you would be praised, that the church would be edified and those, Father, who possibly don't know you or have a relationship with you, that they'll see a need for a Savior and how gracious and wonderful that you are. God, we do praise you. We ask your blessing upon your word. It's in your name I pray and amen. My title this morning is Rather Long. It's the unwavering confidence in God's justification, righteousness, and faithfulness. And when uh, Troy and Sharon asked me several times, Do you have a title? No, I don't have a title. And I have the hardest time trying to find titles. You know, I just go through the text, and I exposit the text in my mind, and, and but I really have difficulty with a title. So they had asked me, and I go, you know, i I got to come up with something. So I was reading through there, and I said, well, this fits, Unwavering Confidence in God's Justification. That works. And then I got to reading it some more. I sent that to them, and I said, no, that don't work. There, there's more to it. And uh, somebody commented said, yeah, that's a rather long title, but I will say this, it's my understanding that John Owen's a uh, book, Death of Death, which was a sermon, actually had 117 words in the title. So I fall short of that. So this morning, we'll get right into uh, God's Word. David is talking about so many things. He is talking about vindication. He's talking about justification. He's talking about God's faithfulness and God's righteousness and all these things. But uh, first, we see his plea and I want to focus first of all on justification. Uh, it's been said justification can be one of the hungriest, most destructive appetites we possess. Vindication is rooted in demanding our rights and justice for the wrongs that has been done to us. Some are so angry they would desire to hurt another. But God says, Vengeance is mine. It is his right. And it will cost us dearly if we try to help him out. Many times people's desire for vindication is birthed from their own pride because they believe they are right and someone else is wrong. We live in a society similar to that that we read of in the book of Judges where that everyone is right in their own eyes. And as a result, you dare not offend anyone unless you wish to be accosted verbally or maybe even physically. Furthermore, neither can you point out when someone is wrong because the result will be the same. It boils down to an issue of pride. You've probably all experienced this, you know, on the highway, somebody cuts you off. And I used to blow my horn, I quit that, (laughs) you know, because it just made people, people even more angry. In the scripture, we read the expression iron sharpens iron, which is discussed in Proverbs 27, 17. He writes, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There is a mutual advantage when we rub two iron edges together. The blades become sharper, causing the knives to become more effective in their ability. This happens when two people agree, or they can agree to disagree and remain friends. Or they can disagree disagree rather in a friendly way. In every instance, humility is evident and it is practice. It's been said that two people with disagreements can be wrong, but two people cannot be right. Only one can be true uh, or they both can be false. However, in this psalm, David has been wronged. His, he does not take it upon himself to write this wrong. What does he do? He goes to God. So we'll begin with this psalm. I know the title of this psalm in, in, in my translation is, I will bless the Lord of David. But in Psalm 26, 1, it reads, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. What is David saying in this verse? The word vindicate itself comes from the Hebrew word "shafat," if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which means to judge. I noticed that was in uh, Charlie's translation, that he says, Judge me, O Lord. It's when we enter into judgment. So first, our first point is David's plea. He is calling on the Lord to argue his case, to advocate for him. David has been slandered or wronged in some way. It had such an impact on him, he feels the need to take it to God. David does not bring it upon his own power and authority. And no one knows what time that this psalm was written in David's life or the exact circumstances. We know that in his life he was a high official, he was the king, but we don't really know if he was recognized as king at this time. In this psalm he has been misjudged by those whom he refuses to imitate. And we see that in the text, the evildoers. He makes a comparison uh, between himself and evildoers. David said, I have walked in my integrity. He had walked in his innocence. He says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. He was on the straight and narrow, as you've heard. He did not turn to the right hand nor to the left. There are times in our lives when we feel like that we have been wronged, and it happens to everyone. No one is estranged from it. How do we How we respond in this circumstance is what really matters. Do you allow someone's actions to direct or to di- dictate your actions? Do you allow someone to guide you and to direct you and to be master over you because you have succumbed to uh, their judgments And, and, and their gang saying Contrary There are times when someone's Judgment is right against us And we deserve the consequences For our actions We see an example in David's life That this was true There was a time in his life When David as king Lusted after a woman She was bathing In the nude where that the king could see her And David did see her. He could have refused to look, but he did not. Soon after his desire had escalated, David committed sin with the woman. A child was conceived. David attempted to cover it up by having the husband of this woman murdered, which in essence he murdered himself. He thought if her spouse was out of the way, people would think that she was free from the law. And in this instance, God judged David. His sin cost the life of his son, which the adulterous relationship produced. Scripture says the sword never departed from his house. The consequences of his sin was great. He had a daughter that was molested by one of his sons. Another son killed that son, and that son tried to overthrow David as king. And uh, the son was killed by David's cousin. See, the consequences of sin are great. It, the consequences never departed from David's house. You see, David's sin was found out. And he suffered dearly for it. In this case, he received a righteous judgment and had to face the consequences. However, he did receive forgiveness. David, uh, or God even said of David that he was as the apple of his eye. But he suffered in his lifetime. Not only did his sin affect himself, but it also affects others. He was forgiven, but sin does have its consequences. But in this psalm, we see something different. We see that David has done no wrong. And like I said, we do not know what point in David's life. Some commentators believe that it's when he was fleeing from Saul, he had been proclaimed king, but he was running for his life because the king at that time was trying to kill him. So he knew that he had done no wrong to the point that he asked God to examine his life. David opened his heart before the Lord and asked God to judge him. He proclaimed his innocence. Why? He believed that he had done nothing wrong. Then we see point number two, David's character revealed. We know that David loved the Lord from his youth. When he was young, he loved the Lord greatly. He wrote songs about God's goodness, about His grace, and about His mercy. He often meditated upon the Lord while tending the sheep on the backside of the wilderness. He loved God very much, and he was jealous for God's glory. We see that there was a time in David's life when he was less than 20 years old. I know that he was because he had to be 20 years old to take part in war or to be in a battle. But there was a time when his father, Jesse, had sent him out to take his his other son's food who were in a battle. While doing that, a great warrior for the Philistines named Goliath insulted the Israelites. But more than that... He insulted David's God. David, being jealous for God's glory, miraculously killed the giant and won a victory for the Israelites and for his God. David was jealous for God's glory. David was obedient. And this incident shows that he walked in his integrity. We see that in Kyle and Delitch in and their commentary on the Old Testament reminds us that A war between the Philistines and the Israelites furnished David with the opportunity of displaying before Saul and all Israel the heroic power which was firmly based upon the bold and pious trust in the omnipotence of the faithfulness of His covenant God. Behold our God is the song that we sang this morning. All glory belongs to God. David said in verse two, he says, "Prove me, O Lord, try me, test my heart and my mind." David was so confident of so confident of his innocence that he asked God to test him. He said, "Prove me, try me, test my heart and my mind." We would think that David was being very arrogant at this time to to go before the Lord and tell him to judge him, say, "Look at me, I'm innocent." I didn't do a thing. How many of us this morning could actually uh, say and would actually be bold enough to say, God, prove me. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. Why do I say this? Number one is, I know the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? I know the deceitfulness of the heart. I'm sure you do too. I know my heart. I know that, uh, that, uh, that, that I sin. I know that I will sin until that I am glorified. In our culture, it's a very popular saying uh, for someone to say, just follow your heart. Someone has said, especially, essentially it is a belief that your heart is a compass inside of you that will direct you to your true north if you just have the courage to follow it. It says that your heart is a true God, is the true God, that will lead you to true happiness if you just have courage to listen to it. The creed says that you are, that you are lost and your heart will save you. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, and 20. Jesus said this about the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. So, we know what's in the heart. Jesus knows what's in the heart. Jeremiah continues in verse 10. He said, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Knowing this, how does your character measure up? Would you be bold enough to invite God to look into your heart? Moment, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are certainly not as good as what we think that we are. John 1.10 reads, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. When we ask God to vindicate us, we fall on His mercy and cry, Be merciful to me, O Lord, a sinner. Why? Because the Lord and His Word has revealed what is in our heart. We seek His justification. What does justified mean? Most all my life I've heard people say, Well, it means just as you have never sinned. But I say, I have sinned, and I know what's in my heart. Not only that, as I say, but I will continue to sin until I am glorified. So where's my rescue? Where's my escape? It's in Christ alone. So if I say, and if I am bold enough to say, God vindicate me, God judge me, I am innocent. I have walked in my integrity. It's not because of anything that I've done. Whenever we read about Paul's testimony in the Scriptures, he always tells us that he was the chiefest or the foremost of sinners. He speaks of causing some to blaspheme, imprisoning others, and some he led to their deaths. He doesn't forget where he came from, and he tells people that. What the Lord did in his life by saving him. And he brags on God. He magnifies God. And finally, where he is going. Because of what Christ has done in his life. In 1 Timothy 13 and 14, Paul says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I have received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ paid the penalty, because He paid my penalty, because He paid our penalty for our sins, and satisfied the Father's wrath uh, against our sins, those who believe in Christ are justified. We see again in Romans 23-25a, through He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen to this, And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a perpetuation. That means a substitution for us. By His blood to be received by faith. Again. It's nothing that we have done, it's what God has done. And when David says, Vindicate me, he is falling on the mercy of God. And he says, I am innocent because you made me innocent. It's nothing that I have done. Point number three, David's character based on God's faithfulness and righteousness. We continue the reading of the psalm and see why David says... What he says in verse 1 and 2. Verse 3 says, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. First, let's look at steadfast love. The Hebrew word is, you got to put that in there. It's chesed love that God has. God's chesed love is his redeeming love. He buys us out of the slave market of sin, and proclaims us innocent. His love for his chosen people that he displays. In the Pentateuch, despite the sinful rebellion of God's people Israel, they are rescued from judgment and reconciled through God's work of salvation. After the golden calf incident in the the book of Exodus, we read, the Lord revealed himself as the Lord revealed himself to Moses and proclaimed. Listen to this beautiful proclamation in Exodus 34 5 through 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in hesed love, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. If you are free in Christ, you are free indeed. Keep in mind, it is in Christ. And it is in Christ alone. And without Christ, he will not allow the guilty to go free. Next, we see that David walked in God's faithfulness. David was not trusting in his own ability, but he was trusting in God's faithfulness. In Romans 4, Paul discusses the faith... Uh, discusses faith and works and David's righteousness when he says, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So, in saying that, how much more would David's faith be counted as righteousness? Because he walked in God's faithfulness. Uh, Romans 4, 4-8. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Then it goes on to read, as David says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Why was David walking in God's faithfulness? Why would David say that I am innocent? Because he's because blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David was walking in God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness is true and it's righteous. Faithfulness means the fact or quality of being true to one's own word or commitments or to what one has pledged to do professes, believes, and so on and so on. It is a righteous quality. There is a connection between God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. The revelation of God's righteousness is linked to His enduring and unending faith. Which means God saves the person and imparts His righteousness into him. It's credited to him. It's imputed to him. So when God sees that person... He sees that person walking in integrity. He sees that person is innocent. Now that one can say that I am walking in God's faithfulness. Therefore, you could say that David, walking in faithfulness, because that he was trusting in another's righteousness, had an alien righteousness. (laughs) Why do I say that? Martin Luther says this about alien righteousness. That is the righteousness of another instilled from without. This is the righteousness of Christ, by which he justifies us through faith. Today, many attempt to ma- maximize their own goodness. Could somebody get me some water, please? I am just getting here. <laughs> Today, many attempt to maximize their own goodness and self-righteousness. They play the comparison game. They may not say it aloud, but they think that they are good or better than someone else that proclaims that they are going to heaven. But remember that they are not going to heaven under their own good deeds. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not our faith, it's God's faith. He's the author and the finish for our faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that one may boast. See, salvation is not of our own doing, of our own good works, or our lack of sinning. Someone has said this, A religion concerned only with not doing anything wrong in order that its practitioner may one day stand vindicated ignores the will of God. So there's nothing that we can do to obtain our righteousness or our right standing in the sight of God. We are not saved by our own merit. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as described in God's Word alone, to the glory of God alone. See, it's not our doing. It's it's God's doing. It's nothing that we have done. It's what God has done that in the end, God gets the glory. I'm walking in integrity. I'm walking in His faithfulness. Not mine. It's nothing that I have done. It's what God has done. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, probably my favorite verse in the New Testament. Isaiah 1-6 is my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's in him. It is because like David, we are walking in faithfulness. We have his righteousness. David's character kept him, as we read on, from keeping company with those who are evil. He says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. He says, I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. It can be summed up like this in those verses. What is David actually saying? To me, David is saying, I do not run, or I do not walk, or I do not keep company with two-faced liars. And the reason I say that is, the word hypocrite literally means one with many faces. It was a word that was used in the Greek cultures. They were putting on plays that one person would play many characters, or they would have many faces. Then they were referred to as a hypocrite. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, Nothing, perhaps, affects man's character more than the company that he keeps. Scripture cautions us against certain associations. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Furthermore, we see in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 15, he said, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what... Partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? So David can maintain his integrity if he kept fellowship with God. He knew that it would be tainted or possibly even destroyed if he kept company with evildoers. It is not possible for light to have fellowship with darkness. The only way that light can have fellowship with darkness is if the light is diminished or it's no longer light at all. Hear this. If you feel comfortable in the midst of unbelievers, something is wrong somewhere. If Now, I'm going on to clarify this. If you sit with an unbeliever and you chat it up in their corrupt conversations and laugh at their carnal jesting, then something is missing somewhere. God's people have been transformed. God's people have been changed. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus said this uh, uh, about such people in John uh, 3, 19 and 20. He says, and this is a judgment, that the light, we are the light. He is the light. And he's speaking of himself here. That the light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light. Uh, Because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest their deeds should be exposed. People walking in darkness. Sometimes enjoy walking in darkness. If they didn't. There would be an event that would happen in their life. But do keep this in mind. That we are never made aware. Unless God's Holy Spirit makes us aware. But there are some people that are satisfied in their sin, and they're going to live that way regardless. See, the heart is rebellious. The heart is a a rebel, is is a rebel against Christ's goodness. I didn't choose God. God chose me. I had a rebel, wicked heart, and it took an event to happen in my life. An event of regeneration where that Christ made me knowledgeable of the path that I was living in. The path that I was walking in. And then he said, I'm here with outstretched arms. I died for you. (laughs) And as Paul said, when my sin was made known, that the, the law said that I was a sinner. And then when I recognized this, and I knew this, sin revived I died, the only thing that I could do was fall on that rock and be broken. And if you don't do that, then that rock will fall on you and you will be ground to powder. Listen, we serve a loving God. God does not hate you. God desires for you to be saved. Those living in darkness, we see. There's two types of company. Company that the scripture tells us not to keep fellowship with or to walk with. Those living in darkness. Paul said, or Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 3-5, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, your faithfulness in living the way that God expects you to live shines light on their evil deeds, the evil deeds of sinful man. And as a result, they will defame you. They'll slander you. They'll run a smear campaign against you. And this was what was happening in David's life when he made that plea, God vindicate me. It was because that they were saying evil things against him. And he says, as Peter said, they will give an account To him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Note that we are not to keep company with unbelievers in a capacity that it would change us or cause us to walk in the same manner with them, but we are commanded to share the gospel with them. Not live as they do, but share the gospel with them in hopes that they will live. Truly live in Christ. As Paul says in Acts 26, 18, listen to his heart to the lost. He says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul had a heart, especially for Israel, that all of Israel would be saved. But he preached the word regardless of who that he was speaking to but there's another group that he tells us to stray from too and those are false brothers he says but now i'm writing to you in first corinthians 5 11 but now i'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or or as an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, even to eat with such a one. Paul is saying not to even eat with them. And the reason he says this uh, is because this association is uh, saying that you're in agreement with this person. But Paul says that that false brother is the one who uh, uh, continually practices uh, sin. He continues to say, as I said, not to eat with such a one. Paul says this also of of them and about us. He said, abstain from every form of evil. David knew that if he hedged along the dividing line of good and evil, he would be testing God. A lifestyle such as this would also compromise his integrity. He did not sit with men of falsehood nor consort with hypocrites for... He hated the assembly of the evildoer and did not sit with the wicked. He goes on to say, I wash my hands in innocent. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. He says something like this in Psalm 24, 3 and 4. He says, Who shall send the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, nor does and does not swear deceitfully. Only in the presence of the Lord could David be justified. His conscience was cleansed. There was no condemnation in the presence of the Lord to the one who has his sins forgiven. David boldly, but also with humility, entered the house of the Lord, for he did not partake in the sins of others. When he stood before the Lord, he could say, I wash my hands in innocence. He would not exchange the pleasures of sin for anything else for that matter or the joy of uh, or exchange it for the joy of being in the presence of the Lord and bragging on the eternal purposes, decrees, actions of an eternal loving God. He could with a clear conscience feel comfortably accepted in the house of God when he stood in the presence of the Lord and saying praises to his name and glorifying him. He didn't, but he could have said, Behold our God. <laughs> we can experience the same as we see in Romans 8, uh, 1 and 2, of how that we can be in God's house and be without guilt, be without God's judgments, Hovering over our life, when he says, There's therefore now no condemnation, the word means judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have been vindicated, we are justified. God gets the glory, and we are honored this morning to give him praise. This day, because what Christ has done as our great high priest. We, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find grace to help and mercy in the time of need. We can truly say, as he says in verse 8, "O oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. If we are walking in integrity, if we are trusting in the Lord without wavering, Trusting in God's faithfulness, having clean hands and a pure heart, you will proclaim thanksgiving without fear. You will love dwelling in the house of the Lord because it is the place where His uh, glory dwells. Not only that, it is the place where believers who are walking in righteousness experience the same thing and proclaim praises unto the Lord. It's true when, uh, when sometime, some, sometimes someone gets downtrodden and they, they stray and, and the, uh, the tempter says, well, it's good for you to stay home today. You know, you're, you're not feeling up to it. But this is a place where that there's a multitude of counselors. This is a place where that there is safety. As Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's what is most important about that verse, encouraging one another. When we see someone who is downtrodden, we see someone who is going through difficult times, according to this verse, and the love that we have for them in our heart. Encourage such a one, and so much more as we see the day approaching. We know that we live in a time that Matthew 24, and 12 says that, Uh, where, where he says many false prophets have arisen and led many astray. And the lawlessness has increased and the love of many has grown cold. Therefore, may I encourage you as brothers and sisters, if there's ever a time, if there ever was a need where that we need to be in the place where God's glory dwells and have strength and encouragement of believers who are not afraid to stand in the midst of the congregation and proclaim the glory and grace of God, it is now. It is this place where God's glory dwells. This is the place that I want to be. Do you know what it's like to say I can't wait till Sunday morning gets here. I want to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, where I am free, where they know my heart and I know their heart. As God, uh, David says, God knows my frame. We're, we're all the same. We we all sin. We all struggle with difficulty. So we need one another. I'm not chastising you. I'm trying to encourage you to be in God's house, to praise and glorify Him. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. In Psalm 122, David said, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Can you see David's heart In this psalm, God, I can stand before you because I am innocent. I have not walked in the midst of evildoers. I have not chosen that path, but I have chosen you because you're the greatest thing in my life. And I praise and glorify you above all things. We can praise him this morning because what he has done in our lives. He goes on to say, and I'm trying to get through this, in 9 and 10, he says, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, and whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. He knew that that God would vindicate him. He knew that he was faithful to, to deliver and justify him because he was trusting in God's faithfulness and righteousness. He knew God would not let the guilty go free. David knew when he sang this psalm in Psalm 1 that the wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. God knew that God would judge the unrighteous and that they would perish for all eternity when He said, Do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. He was actually repenting when He said this. He said, God, please be merciful to me. He was saying, Cleanse me and keep me from being numbered among the ungodly. For He goes on to say in 11 and 12, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me. Purchase me. BAMI! out of this lifestyle so that I may stand before you in your presence and be holy and without sin. He says, Redeem me and be gracious to me. As the writer in Ephesians says, this grace He has lavished upon His children. He says, For my foot stands on level ground in the great assembly I will bless the Lord. Once again, David appeals to his integrity. C.H. Spurgeon writes this. He said, He held integrity as his principle and walked in. it as his practice, David had not used any treacherous or unrighteous means to gain the crown or to keep it. He was conscious of having been guided by the noblest principles of honor in all his actions with regard to Saul and his family. He calls on God to redeem him and to show mercy. He knew what was in the heart of man. He was stable in the Lord. He was not tossed about on the sea of, of doubt and unbelief. He fully trusted God. And he did, not in care, he did not care to invite God, to prove Him, to try Him, to test His heart and His mind. His feet were planted on solid ground. He had, he had a testimony of how God had delivered him from the bear and the lion in the wilderness, from the giant that was in the midst of the battle, God had always been there for him. God was his salvation. He was willing to tell it. David had an unwavering confidence in God's justification, in his righteousness, and in his faithfulness. He says this in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I will close with this. In saying that, God already knows your thoughts. God already knows your heart. It's naked and exposed in His sight. If you have heard the Holy Spirit say, Come to me, all you who are broken and weary, and I will give you rest. Trust Him as David did. He proved God continually throughout his life and found God to be faithful, holy, and true. Did David mess up? Surely he messed up. But he was righteous. And he stood before God in innocence, because God had forgiven him, God had redeemed him, God didn't bring those old sins up and try to afflict him and bribe him with that. But when his record was clean and clear, it was clear. And yours can be today. As we ask Larry to come and sing a song, I'm stand out front here. God has spoken to your heart today, and you feel a need to come before Him. You can stand if you would. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.